0: This is the most important election in the history of our country. United, we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SEEPs podcast What's at stake for the world? Global perspectives on the 2020 U.S. elections. My name is Alexandra Gieccio and I am delighted to be your host for this edition of the podcast, which focuses on the European Union and NATO. The US is of course in the final stretch of the 2020 presidential campaign, and they have two candidates who, on the surface at least, couldn't be more different in their visions of multilateralism in general, and European Union and NATO in particular. On the one hand, Donald Trump has repeatedly criticized the EU and NATO, has questioned key norms and principles of the post-1945 transatlantic security and economic architecture, and has promised four more years of making America great again. On the other hand, Joe Biden, who argues that unilateralism cannot be the answer in today's interdependent world, has promised to restore American leadership in the world, to repair relations with US friends and allies. He has expressed support for key European Union policies and practices, and has specifically mentioned NATO as one of his foreign policy priorities. As so many people around the world are watching closely this election race, the stakes seem to be very high indeed. President Trump's vocal skepticism and sometimes open hostility vis-à-vis the EU and NATO have prompted significant concerns in Europe. Policy divergences now exist on a wide range of regional and global issues. And managing the spread of COVID-19 seems to have further strained US-European relations. According to many experts on both sides of the Atlantic, a second Trump presidency could cause irreversible damage to NATO and to relations between the US and European Union. In this context, we are very fortunate indeed to have two leading scholars on the EU and NATO to help us understand what is at stake this November and what the future might bring. Joining me from Denmark is Dr. Rebecca Adler-Nissen, who's a professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Copenhagen. And calling in from the United States, Dr. James Sperling, who's professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Akron. A very warm welcome to both of you and thank you so much for joining me in today's conversation. Rebecca, I'd like to invite you to get us started by reflecting on the importance of the upcoming elections from the perspective of the European Union. Is 2020 fundamentally different from previous US elections or
2: are we perhaps in danger of overestimating its importance? Right, Uh, this is an important question. I'm I'm really happy to have the opportunity to to speak on this and thanks for for inviting me on board. Um, US elections, are always important. <laughs> um, but they're important um, in sometimes in ways that are, are, are different than we think. So this election is very much also a mirror that at least um, many in the EU uh, and NATO hold up to themselves and ask what, is, what kind of world am I living in? And sort of put very bluntly, for many, it's a question of the very survival of the liberal international order. In other words, can it take another four years with Trump? And that's, um, I think, leaves us with a a problem, namely that that sort of answer in the mirror uh, kind of is based on the idea that um, we can write the history of international relations as a question of uh, great white men, as it were as a history of, of, of people rather than structures. And so the other answer uh, to the question would be, um, it is important, this election, but we needed to see it in a, in a broader historical um, setting. And if we do that and adopt a more sort of um, longer view, then it's just just another election um which reflects that we have entered a period where the transatlantic relationship is in decline and was in decline before Trump but more broadly that what used to be the liberal international order is in 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 real um, in in real challenges and this has to do not just with the discontent um, from outside so from um, the non-west as it were from Russia, India but also because of and this is where Trump becomes an important figure, because of discontent within the West, of disenfranchised or just people no longer feeling that that liberal order is a vision that that it appeals to them. And I think that here I'm drawing on a uh, on some forthcoming work I'm, I'm doing with Aisha Sarakul from from Cambridge. We have a, a forthcoming article in International Organization on this issue. And so I think we, or I at least, would say we do need to see this in in a broader context.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, Jim, let's turn our attention to NATO. After all, it's not the first time that the US president or presidential candidate criticizes NATO and argues that European allies and Canada have for too long refused to pay their fair share to the alliance and that this situation can no longer be tolerated. So, can we really speak on a meaning of a meaningful difference this time? Is there more at stake for NATO this time than there was in the past?
0: Well, the you know the short answer to that is yes. It's it's a major difference insofar as prior to Trump, the debates were always about how to make better uh, NATO better, or how to increase interoperability, or how to increase burden sharing, or even to buy more American you know weapons. But uh, Trump is all. Has actually changed how NATO is perceived by the uh, electorate, not so much the foreign policy establishment, but you know it is a democracy, and so what the people want can kind of drive it. And because of his kind of strong base, he's able to do things that no other president could get away with or would even consider doing. Uh, I think the. Uh, difference between Trump and every other election we've had since 1945 really revolves around uh, whether or not we want to be the uh assume a leadership position or not and leadership in the sense of being cooperative multilateral and you know engaging in our alliances and also in these sort of international institutions and Trump doesn't uh see them as having value in and of themselves. It's as everyone says these days, it's a transactional relationship for him. It's how much do I get, you know, cue bono. And so what we have then is a candidate with Trump who neither understands nor cares about NATO, either as an institution or as an alliance. And he fails to, I think, fully appreciate the interdependence between the United States and the Europeans, both with respect to security and, and otherwise what has Trump has done so far, his biggest sins, I suppose, is that he's called NATO's necessity and existence into question. My own view is that if you were to win re-election, it would delegitimize NATO by default uh, for the Europeans and would also then create all sorts of problems for the American foreign policy establishment to continue to have the stake in NATO that we have. And lastly, um, he has a penchant for utilitarianism, which in turn uh, appeals to the American electorate. Now with respect to Biden, you have sort of his, his mirror image in the sense that he's all too aware of NATO's importance. He understands that America can only be secure if Europe is secure. And he knows that there has to be you know, international order in and only America can really perform that function of providing that order as it presently exists. Now, the thing about Biden that makes him, I think, a, a better candidate and also would be a better president is a uh, couple of features of Trump, uh, Biden, excuse me. The first is that he is a paid up member of the American foreign policy establishment, and he is out about to continue uh, Trump's position on NATO or most multilateral agreements that Trump has uh, withdrawn from, and he'll do his best to repair the damage that Trump has done. Uh, secondly, and with any luck. Uh, Biden will help restore trust in the American, in American leadership, or at least provide the foundation for that trust to be rebuilt, although it may be trust that's going to be permanently forgone or damaged. That's, you know, only time will tell on that. And finally, uh, the burden sharing debate will continue with Biden, but it will be about making NATO better rather than treating it as something that the Europeans need to do if we're going to, to defend them. The only, uh, Kind of problem with this sort of analysis is that foreign policy has a very very low salience in the American uh, election so in some respects uh, the electorate isn't really that concerned about the outside world which in and of itself I think is a problem.
1: Okay thank you. Now in order to gain a better understanding of what might happen after November It's helpful to reflect on where we are today, after four years with President Trump in the White House. So Rebecca, returning to you, what has been the impact of the Trump presidency on the European Union? Uh, In particular, has Trump's open skepticism vis-à-vis the EU translated into efforts in Brussels and EU member states to deepen European integration, perhaps to strengthen Europe's role on the global stage? Because we've heard several European leaders, perhaps most vocally, France's President Macron, argue that the EU needs to become a stronger presence in the world, needs to learn to depend less on the US. Has there been any sign of that? Or has the impact of the Trump presidency been quite different?
2: I do think that there's been a quite mm, marked uh, impact of the the four years with Trump. Um, Especially if you look at the way in which um, the EU has debated and discussed security issues. There's been a realization, perhaps most most recently expressed in uh, Ursula von der Leyen, so the European Commission President's uh, State of the Union speech, where she really her entire speech was premised on the idea that Europe cannot rely on the U.S. And I think that that realization, uh, whether or not Biden wins the next election, has kind of is is kind of um, becoming more. Um, more widespread. This doesn't mean that the transatlantic relationship or NATO or or those relationship cannot be sort of repaired, but there is a sense in which um, Europe has to stand more on its own feet. And that that has been, I think the, the wake up call of, of the Trump uh, years. If we think of Brexit, there's this particular story in this, which is the other big impact I think is that um, it's impossible, I think, to understand Brexit. So the, the Brexit debate and the Brexit effects on EU without also taking Trump into account, given the extreme um, views that Trump has had on Brexit as a, as a very good idea, complementing Theresa May, courting uh, uh, Nigel Farage, which has been seen as ex- extreme uh, attacks on, on the very idea of, of, of the European Union within the Brussels circle. So that has been taken up very badly. And that has, on the other hand, then reinforced the idea, um, at least among the establishment, that Europe needs further integration and has fueled federalist um, ideas, especially in France and Berlin. So I think the the French-Berlin axis has grown stronger because of Brexit and because of Trump's support for Brexit.
1: Well, it's certainly very interesting to know the interplay between Brexit and the policies and practices of the Trump administration. Now, Jim, looking at this from the perspective of NATO, could one perhaps argue that the Trump presidency has had at least some beneficial impact on the alliance? For instance, by convincing more allies to spend more on defense? Or has the impact been overwhelmingly negative?
0: Um, Unfortunately, it hasn't been overwhelmingly negative. I have to give some credit to Trump, Um, although some of it's a negative positive outcome. I think there are three positives that have have arisen out of Trump. And I actually don't think that uh, spending more in defense is one of them because I'm not sure that spending more in defense really translates into greater security. But what he uh, has been able to do and what the Europeans have done, perhaps because of the chiding, is that the size, of NATO military exercises, as well as the number of states participating in those exercises, has increased since 2014, and they continue to increase under Trump except for the COVID-19 uh, interruption. But until that time, the Europeans were actually uh, participate, participating at a much higher rate than they had prior to 2014. And that has, of course, contributed contributed to interoperability, which has been a major American complaint uh, since uh, probably about 1995. The second uh, positive is that Trump has continued to dump a lot of money into the European uh, Defense Initiative, which was originally the European Assurance Initiative, Reassurance Initiative. And that was, of course, the money that was put uh, Put forward to protect the Baltics as well as Romania and Bulgaria to a lesser extent. And he's continued the spending. In fact, the rate of increase in that spending has been much higher than it was under Obama. And I think paradoxically, and this is the uh, negative positive, is that his hostility to NATO has revealed to the American foreign policy establishment how important NATO really is and how fragile that relationship is and how much we need to do to try and preserve it and then reassure our our European allies. Now, of course, that depends upon the uh, kind of the, uh, whether or not Trumpism uh, continues after Trump or if it's effectively epiphenomenal and the Republican party goes back to being the party of of multilateralism. That, of course, remains to be seen. However, there are a number of negatives which uh, far outweigh the positives. And the first is that there's uh, no clarity in American strategy in and for Europe. And there is also no real strategy for global security because there isn't a kind of, Trump is incapable, I think, of having a, a kind of a world view about what it is he wants to achieve. And one of the bigger problems is that if you read American policy documents, they're quite coherent, whether you agree with them or not, that they do present sort of grand strategy. But the problem, of course, is that Trump doesn't stick to the script. I doubt he even knows what the script is, but he's also othered our NATO allies, which I think is the real problem. He's essentially made them something else, and they're, we're no longer in kind of a, a community of states. We've kind of moved into, once again, a transactional or contractual relationship. The second uh, negative is he's shattered the norm of multilateralism and consensus within NATO. Now, it's... I think safe to say that America has always assumed that what we said would become NATO policy, but at least we've maintained the facade that it is cooperative and on many issues it it in fact is, but that norm has been, uh, I think, crushed. And it's gonna be very difficult to rebuild that uh, into the future, especially if uh, there's a a lack of, a lack of willingness to accept that Trump was an aberration rather than uh, a, a kind of a template for the future. The third, and perhaps the most important thing, he's tapped into is the isolationist and unilateralist uh, streak in the American electorate. Uh, most Americans, especially in the uh, flyover country where I live, they're completely indifferent to Europeans. They're completely indifferent to Asians, except when they take their jobs. And they see America as being effectively self-contained, and they believe it ought to be. It's only the coastal elites. That are really uh, preoccupied because they, they do confront trade on a daily basis and, and they know where their, their bread is buttered. But in the Midwest, uh, there's a really there's a desire to become a, a more kind of what they would consider to be a more independent state rather than one that's kind of irrevocably interdependent and intermeshed with the rest of the world. The fourth problem is that he has cast both Article Four and Article Five into doubt. And Trump has begun to treat uh, NATO as a golf club where if you don't pay your dues, you don't have the privileges of membership. And of course NATO wasn't constructed that way, nor has it ever been really much more than a unilateral guarantee in any event. And so for Trump to do this is effectively shredding the foundation of the Alliance, especially as it was understood and has been understood I think for most of the post-war period. And finally, um, he has made abandonment a possibility rather than a hypothetical. And that I think is the uh, perhaps the second greatest uh, negative thing he has done after the uh, tapping into isolationism. So I think there are these five uh, negatives that far outweigh the positives. And this takes us very nicely to
1: the question of the future. So to conclude, I'd like to invite both of you to briefly gaze into your crystal ball and tell us how, in your view, might A, a Biden presidency and B, a second Trump presidency affect the transatlantic relationship? Uh, Rebecca, if I come back to you, how might the EU and EU-US relations evolve under a second Trump mandate? Do you expect to see more of what we have seen over the past four years or would you expect a different set of developments. And also how different would a Biden presidency really be given all the pressures and constraints on both sides of the Atlantic, given also the growing importance of other regions on the global stage and in the eyes of US policymakers. So given all that, is it realistic to expect a substantial difference if Biden gets elected?
2: Right, so three points on this. Um, should, Should Biden get elected first we would have uh, less uncertainty. So one of the the characteristics of this presidency has been a very shifting position on everything, including um, uh, Russia, which is a huge issue here, um, uh, including with a a war ongoing in in Ukraine, um, on questions of of data governance, digital questions, um, on questions of trade, so all those, uncertainties and lack of trust would would actually from one day to the other disappear. So that would be a huge thing. Secondly, um, there, I think that we shouldn't overestimate the effects of Biden in the sense of how the EU would act because um, the EU itself is torn by exactly the same processes um, as, as we just described within the US, namely that there is a part of the population that don't buy into this, including into the EU. So we also have our Trumps, as it were, in different disguises, but clearly um, it, it's, it's an important issue that will also haunt the EU. So there's sim- simply limits of what the EU can do because of domestic issues, irrespective of whether Biden or, or Trump wins. Um, so that's one reason not to overestimate. And thirdly, should should Biden win, I think we will see um, an investment, a reinvestment in the Transatlantic Alliance. A big sigh of relief, but also a realization that the world is never going to be what it used to be. The golden age of of the liberal international order and the and the, and the sort of the, the the cold world war uh, era. Is, is, is gone, um, but with Biden um, leading the US, the, the EU would have a leader that it could at least trust in trying to save the multilateral system.
1: The final question goes to you, Jim. What about the future of NATO? Would you agree with critics who argue that another four years under Trump could well spell the end of NATO? And conversely, could the Biden presidency help to strengthen the alliance? This, despite all the existing tensions, disagreements, all the problems and challenges that you have already highlighted. What do you expect to see?
0: Well, first, I'd say I agree with everything Rebecca said, um, and so with with that, provides. I'll, I'll go through and. and And put forward what I think about NATO and and Biden and and Trump. I'd like to frame it, though, by looking at uh, the foreign policy trajectories of the United States and kind of the different options that we we effectively have, or at least the grand strategies that people are putting forward. And I think the first trajectory, which would be the worst and the one that's most likely to occur with a a second Trump administration, would be isolationism and abandonment. Uh, I think NATO would cease to be a functioning alliance. I don't I don't believe that the treaty would be repudiated but i do believe that we might do a uh, kind of a a french sort of withdrawal from the uh, organization from the uh, unified command which in effect would i think uh, doom the alliance and also it would um, lead to a much more unstable world because it would have repercussions of course for our foreign policy in asia and the europeans are as dependent, if not more dependent on the security of the sea lanes and NATO plays an important role in that. And if America to, were to withdraw from that kind of leadership it could have very negative effects, not only on uh, the alliance, but also uh, the EU as, a, uh, as an economic entity. The second uh, and a very popular approach would be offshore balancing, which would lead the United States is, I mean, NATO is a functioning alliance and it would not diminish the uh, Article Five guarantee in theory but the problem is that the Trump presidency has made that an unworkable strategy because the because it's unlikely that the Europeans would believe us. And so in that respect, that kind of option has been, been foreclosed for Biden, even though as a strategic and economic matter, it may be a, a wiser strategy to adopt. In other words, allow the Europeans to do more in terms of security, but America remain a guarantor of European security vis-a-vis uh, the Russian Federation or any other kind of hostile uh, power. In other words, um, offshore balancing at this stage would be perceived as, I think, as isolationism and abandonment rather than being offshore balancing, which leads us on the third, which is a return to the status quo ante Trump. And that is a reinvigorated liberal order, however, um, That is effectively a two-way street, and a lot of damage has been done to that particular order. And it's questionable whether or not the allies will believe the Americans to re-engage in the way that we were engaged prior to that time. However, all that said, I I expect that to be the outcome. In other words, a Biden victory and a reinvigorated international or liberal order, but I I fear his uh, re-election and the worst possible outcome.
1: this has been a fascinating conversation, which has given us even more reasons to watch closely election-related developments in the U.S. As we come to the end of this episode, I would like to thank our guests, Rebecca and Jim, for shedding so much light on these complex issues. And I would also like to invite our listeners to visit the SIPS website, subscribe to the SIPS podcast, and of course, follow us on Twitter. For now, thank you all so much, and goodbye from SIPS.